Welcome to the Counter Narrative Podcast, a show designed to change the way we talk and think about education. By sharing stories of successes and triumphs, we aim to challenge the dominant narrative that often negatively portrays our disenfranchised populations. I'm your host, Charles Williams, an urban educator for more than 15 years, a current school principal in Chicago, an educational consultant, an equity advocate, and the co-host of Inside the Principal's Office. Let's get started. In this episode, I chat with Lisette Jacobson, an educator with more than 10 years of experience in the field. She has worked with culturally and linguistically diverse students in grades K through 8 and is currently an elementary school principal in a suburb of Chicago. Lisette's passion for education stems from her own experience as a first-generation Mexican-American in the public school system. It is important for her to affirm the identities of her students and to elevate the status of the Spanish language. She is the founder of Leading Latina, a blog and podcast that focuses on linking Latinas in leadership and co-founder of Black, Brown, and Bilingue, a podcast whose mission is to unite the Black and Brown communities through education, storytelling, and community engagement. During our conversation, we talked about so-called ghetto schools and the impact this has on staff, students, and the community. What happens when staff and students begin to think they are less worthy because they are in a school where they don't receive as many resources? Or when struggling students are congregated in that space? What happens when parents in the community embrace those stereotypes and respond negatively? Lisette also shared how it's important to listen to your stakeholders and not make assumptions. Often this leads to us not only ignoring the cultural capital within our buildings, but missing our family's realities entirely. We discussed the role of SEL and cautioned about becoming so engrossed in this initiative that we fail to provide our students with the academic foundations that they need so they can actually be successful in the classroom. Lisette and I closed out with a brief discussion around repackaged reforms and their role in perpetuating the very issues we are attempting to address, but we figured we would save that one for another conversation. Listos? Are you ready? Vamos! Sorry. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Counter Narrative Podcast. Listeners, you are in for a treat today, even though, even though she says she's nothing special. I disagree. Uh, <laughs> I, I have had the privilege um, and the honor of getting to, to meeting this individual uh, back at the IPA conference at the beginning of the year. Uh, we became, well, at least I became a podcast like fan. I started listening to her show. Uh, I was able to invite her on to inside the principal's office. We spent some time together there and I knew that there was something special. So I had to get her on for yeah. one of these shows. And it's March. It is National Women's History Month. And I thought, what better way to close out this month with this last episode than bringing on a phenomenal individual who is doing some amazing things, not just in her own school, but in other spaces. So uh, I'm sure we'll touch on all of those different things. But Lisette, how are you today or this evening? Hi. 
Charles. Nice to see you too. I still remember when we met at the IPA. I was like, gun ho, you were asking us questions. And I'm like, sure, I'll talk to you. Um, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. It's that time of year where we're about to embark on testing season and, you know, feeling it sometimes, but we're good. Nice, nice. So I, I know I have, you know, the kind of the up, upper hand here, right? I know a little bit about you. We've been able to connect already, but some of my listeners may have no idea who you are and maybe why I'm so excited to have you in this space. So can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and my favorite thing, maybe something interesting about you that maybe other people don't know? Sure. So Lisette Jacobson, I am a K-5 dual language school principal, which I'm very proud of. Um, I am in West Chicago, which is in DuPage County. Um, and prior to that, I was in DeKalb. I was also a principal and I actually started teaching in DeKalb. Um, I usually like to center my introduction to people around like three big champions, kind of like that um, Rita Pearson okay. uh, TED talk that is so popular, right? That every child needs a champion. And I definitely had three champions in my life. Um, I'll go through them just kind of quickly because I think it really is important to share the narrative, right? Like. Mm-hmm. I had my kindergarten teacher was an African-American woman, Mrs. Brown, and she was one of my first champions because she instilled a love of reading for me. You know, I was that kid flipping couch cushions over, looking for the the, the loose change so I could go to like the book fair and get the dollar books, you know, because I just love to read. And so Mrs. Brown was amazing. And then middle school, I also had another um, African-American teacher, Mr. Johnson. He in middle school, I was I was kind of a hot mess. Right. Like, I think that's why I do all right with the kids, because I was a little bit rebellious. Right. (laughs) I flirted a little bit with like trouble, but I also got really good grades. And so I think teachers always looked out for me, whereas like some of my friends, the teachers were like, oh, but with me, I had Mr. Johnson to give me that tough love, which is, you know, kids in my setting that I grew up in Waukegan, we needed that. We needed someone to, you know, give us that tough love. And he was definitely that for me. And then um, my final champion is Mr. Hilst, who was my guidance counselor in high school. And coming from a Mexican background, my parents are Mexican immigrants. Um, And when I told them I wanted to go away to college, they were like, you're not even married. Why would you leave the house? I'm like, excuse me, I'm not trying to leave. But, you know, just very old school, traditional Mexican parents. And so I remember telling my guidance counselor, like, yes, I want to go to college, but, you know, my parents aren't letting me go. So I'll just go to, you know, the community college. Not that there's anything wrong, but he was like, Lisa, you're so bright. Like, can you try a four-year school? I'm like, there's no way my parents are going to let me. And so he actually gave me an application for the Golden Apple Scholarship Mm -hmm. Foundation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they provide a lot of financial assistance, but you do need to go to a four-year school. And I applied. I am actually a Golden Apple Scholar. And um, it has been a tremendous journey. And part of the reason why I think I'm so passionate in the work that I do, because it's not just about, you know, as a teacher, yes, you can have that influence in your classroom. But as a leader, I think you can then have that exponential influence. And so that's a little bit about me. You know, I had to fight some battles even with my own family to, to get to leave the house. <laughs> That's that's some powerful stuff. And and so, you know, I, I'll take the, the Golden Apple Scholar is the, the rare fact about you. I had no idea. So congrats. Yeah, I actually do a lot of work with them. Thank you. I'm actually working with them this summer. I worked with them last summer. Um, this summer, they want to have me for their summer institute. So I'm excited about that. Nice, nice. Hey, but, hey I'll give you another one. Can I give you another of one? Course, of course, of <laughs> course. I love survivalist camps. Um, so I used to be a camp counselor 
And people always look at me, they're like, no way, Lisa, you wouldn't survive without your blow dryer, right? I um, I love like camping for like 10 days at a time. I know how to fish. I can descale a fish. I can hey. fillet it. I can cook it. I can, I can survive. We're- so if there's an apocalypse, you know who to <laughs> connect with. <laughs> Yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, if things go down while I'm while I'm at work, I'm just gonna drive right over to you, and we'll, yeah, I'll, I'll be taken care of. So you know, I before we jump in, I you know, I, I would be remiss because you obviously, outside of being a school leader, you have two other projects. You have your podcast mm-hmm. and the uh, the organization, the Leading Latina. So can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about each of those? Yeah. So Black, Brown and Bilingue, it's like one of my biggest passions. It's what keeps me going. It's um, a podcast that I started with one of my colleagues, dear friend, Maurice McDavid. And um, we would often, we got our leadership uh, degree together and we would often leave classes and we'd have all these profound conversations. And we're like, man, we should really be recording these. Right. And we would talk about all sorts of things like race, ethnicity, politics, education, And we reached a point where we're like, there is not a lot out there that is like bridging the two, Mm. right? You'll find like primarily African-American voices or, or, or Hispanic, Latinx, brown like organizations. But we wanted to be intentional about bridging the two communities together because we're often pitted against each other. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. Especially when there's a scarcity of resources or perception of scarcity. And, and so when COVID hit, we're like, Hey, now's our time. Like if, we're, if this is ever going to take off and we've had, it has taken us to like tremendous places. We've had great guests. Um, we've been uh, contacted to provide professional development. We were recently at Illinois State University. So talking to um, their ed department about the culturally responsive teaching and leading standards, which my co-host actually was part of the committee who co-authored them. And so that was, it's been a lot of fun. We've got a couple other projects coming up. Um, And then for Leading Latina, man, there's not a lot of research on Latinas, period. You know, even if you try to look at like how many Latinas are out there with master's degrees or doctorates, it's like very little. But, um, you know, I really wanted to showcase all of the amazing things that we're doing and kind of countering some of the uh, narratives that are out there because we're still, even within like women, if you categorize women and, and earnings, we are at the bottom. Mm. You know, even even if you break it down by race and ethnicity, we are the, the lowest earning. So hope to change that um, and continue to spotlight um, leading Latinas in all fields. It's not just education. Wonderful, wonderful. I mean, so for those of you listening like this, this is why I said I I have to get her on uh, (laughs) because, you know, much of the work that we're doing, you know, you know, it's parallel to one another. And Mm -hmm. so I first of all, I know I normally say this at the end, but I appreciate everything that you're doing. Keep up the amazing work. Um, It is. It's interesting how you talked about the fact like we're pitted (laughs) against each other. So the other day I we were doing our covid testing and one of our young people came in and she asked, Mr. Williams, do you have a girlfriend? And one of the students behind was like, no, he's got a wife. Like my mom talks about it all the time. I said, well, that's weird. Uh, but what what got me was the the young lady asked, well, what, you like, what is she? And I said, well, you know, she's, she's Mexican. And she was like, Mexican. <sighs> okay. And I said, well, why do you look so upset? She was like, well, cause Mexicans, they're loud and they're rude and they're just, they're mean. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Where are you getting this from? And she's like, well, that's what my mom says. Mm. I was like, oh, honey. I said, I said, to be honest, I said, people say the same thing about us. 
I said, so, right. but we can't always believe everything that we're told. And, you know, it opened up an opportunity for conversation because like you said, there's this mindset where we're put against one another when in reality, we're oftentimes in the same exact situation. So if we were to work together. And there's enough piece of the pie to go yeah, around, yeah. right? Like this is not finite. Um, it's interesting, Maurice, on one of our episodes, um, I think we have we have an episode called The Black Brown Divide. And he talked about having a crush on a little girl when he was in preschool, I think. And he came home and he he told, I think, his aunt. And he was like, I have a little crush. And um, she was a Mexican little girl. And she was like, she's Mexican? You can't have a Mexican crush. They have a million kids. Like all these other. Like what? Yeah, but it goes both ways. Yeah, no, We've got absolutely. work to do too in the Latino community. Like we can't even front, like we're, we are just as bad sometimes. So, but that is why we are so passionate about our podcast because we are actually also planning like a community engagement event with like both communities. And we're going to do some, some, some deep work with that. Nice. Well, let us know. I, I would love to bring my, yes. uh, my community in as well and support yes. all of you. That would be great. So, so let's jump in. So obviously you've done this work, right? You, you're, you're principal, you're podcaster, you're, you're doing this organization. And so I'm sure that you have tons of stories around, you know, this countering the narrative. Um, we hear all the bad, but we also know much of the good that's happening. So I was hoping that you could share with us one, one example or one element, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, Latina related, whether it's female related or just something else, you know, entirely, just mm -hmm. at least one of your stories from the plenty I'm sure you have. Yeah. So um, one, I think the one that I want to specifically focus on is because I'm living it right now is um, when I got into my current building, um, there was this narrative around it. Like, oh, you're at the ghetto school. Mm. And I remember thinking like, I don't think this is not ghetto to me. <laughs> like, this is not, this is not it, but okay. But as I started to see other buildings, I started to see, you know, even our demographics, our enrollment, um, and even just like the physical state of my building, I could see that there are some differences, right? I'm not saying that we're the ghetto school, but it's definitely something that I think even the students and my staff had mm -hmm. bought into, right? Like, oh, we have the most challenging population we don't but we have the most challenging population or our building looks a certain way and um i definitely had to work against that i mean even now people will come back that were you know former students and they'll say wow it looks so different you know when i was here it was a ghetto school and i um definitely working against that right now and it's been a big challenge i can imagine i can imagine you know we we talk a lot on the show about how those narratives impact your perception Right. And so I can only imagine that when you're coming into the space, when when students are thinking, well, we're we're not deserving, we're underperforming mm -hmm. because why else would we be in the ghetto school with the ghetto teachers mm -hmm. or the ghetto materials mm -hmm. like like it, it is a huge, you know, uh, hurdle to overcome. So I'm curious, like what, what were some of the things that you did to help change that that mindset that they had? You know, I think it was a lot of things, but I was very, since I'm in a dual language school, um, I'm very mindful of like language and identity. Okay. And um, I openly will code switch at work. Like I know that we try to keep it, and not, not that I'm unprofessional, <laughs> right? But, They're like, but <laughs> <laughs> because I think part of who I am too is like, 
I am largely influenced by hip hop culture. I am. I'm a millennial. I grew up with like MTV, BET, and that was my experience. And before I would try to like tone it down or separate it. And, you know, at the end of the day, you have to be authentic. Mm -hmm. So I made, I made every effort to like be authentic, be me and code switch and explain what code switching is and why I do it. Right. Because I see how, and I don't, you know, I have other staff members that do it too, but really elevating, right. That ability to code switch and the cognitive demands that that has for even children to be able to do it. Like, let's not view it as this deficit thing. Let's view it as something that like, it takes, it takes a mental energy and capacity to do because you have to read social situations and say, okay, is it cool here? Or is it not cool here? Um, So I think that was one way, right, where the kids started to feel like, okay, my principal communicates very similar to how I communicate or how my loved ones at home communicate. Um, But then with my teachers, I really had to get back to basics. Um, This was, I think, the most grueling part. I had to meet with a lot of them one on one, kind of do an inventory of like, what are some of the perceptions? Mm -hmm. What are the biggest challenges that we're facing as a building? And um, I always, I'm finally at the point where I can joke with them, but I had a lot of cool ideas that I wanted to try coming in, but I quickly realized that like I had to pump the brakes on that and get to the nitty gritty, the basics, right? So for them, it was like, we really needed a behavior system and we really needed a master schedule that allowed us to focus on academics. Mm. Cause I, I think originally thought about this whole idea of like telling my story as doing the stuff, doing it for the gram, for lack of a better word, right? Sometimes we do stuff to get ready to post it on social media. It's the yeah, truth. No, yeah. um, but that could also rub people the, like the wrong way. And then it can make your staff feel like you're just doing it for the gram. So um, I listened to everything that they told me, you know, with my building leadership team, developed an action plan and started targeting some of those things. And that's what I, that's the story I told. Because parents had similar things that the teachers were saying, like behavior and academics, and we want to see a focus on learning. And I was like, okay. And I knew that anything that I was going to do for PR was going to be centered around that. You know, it's interesting that you said that because that's a big conversation I think that we often have is, you know, we're, we're, it's a, it's a balance. Like I think anything else where we're often told, you know, tell your story, right. Get out there, like promote your school, all of these different things. But at the same time, there's this other kind of camp where it's like, well, you're, you're doing all these things and you're posing with the kids and you're doing all like, is it authentic? Like, yeah. or are you just doing it to show off to social media world to be like, look how great I am. And it, it really is trying to find that balance because you're like, no, I, I do need to promote our school. This is the way that people get to know us. This is how we get kids to come in. This is how we get to counter the narrative, right? We're not a ghetto school. Um, but at the yeah. same time, people who are like, we need to focus on behavior. We need to focus on academics. Why are you having, you know, a pie day contest party and posting pictures of <laughs> shaving right. cream in your face? Like, what does that have to do with anything? Mm-hmm. So I, I completely understand. Yeah. And, and. Full transparency, I learned that the hard way. I learned that the hard way. And I don't think we're often um, honest enough publicly to talk about some of the things that went wrong. And because I have, you know, in my mind, I had some really good ideas in, in a previous building. 
man, I focused, I was all wrong. Looking back, I'm like, dang, Lissette, that's where you went wrong. You know, I needed to listen. Let me listen to what the community wants, what the students want, what the staff wants. And then we can get to the cool stuff, right? Like now it's meaningful. I've done the work. I've built the relationships. You almost have to think about it kind of like that banking system, right? I finally feel like I've made enough deposits mm. that I can cash in on some of that now. But I, 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 my first principalship was rough. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> it was rough. Well, I'm, I'm glad you learned, right? And and sometimes that's yes. the only way to learn. Yes. So, you know, I, I'm curious. So let's just, I, I'm assuming, right? There are people who are listening to this and maybe, maybe not, but I'm sure there are some who are like, you know, I'm in the hood school or I'm in the ghetto school. And, and I tell people like, and I'm sure you're familiar, right? I'm in Austin. I'm on the West side of Chicago. And I've been at job fairs where somebody says, hi, where's your school located? Oh, we're in Austin. Thank you. And they walk away and I'm like, wait, come back. Like we're, we're in the hood, but we're not a hood right. school. But if you right. were to look at it, I mean, we don't have a gym. And yet our fifth and sixth and seventh and eighth graders just won the basketball championships. Right. Come like, on, let's go. I feel like, oh, what you don't have, as you mentioned earlier, there's a deficit thinking about all the things you don't have, but instead, how do we capitalize on those things that we do have? And so mm-hmm. for those of people who are listening right now, who are like, man, I, I've, I'm in a school like that, or I'm, I'm going into a school like that next year, whatever it may be. What are some things that you could tell them maybe that they could do either to look out for, or maybe ways that they could kind of challenge, you know, unfortunately that narrative that your school is the hood school. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Number one, it does take time, right? Like I finally feel like this is year three. And you know, you all the research is clear that it takes a good five to eight years to really see the change. Yeah. And again, naively, I thought I would read that stat and I'd be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but no, I can see it now where it does take time. But I will say, I think um check yourself first. I think any change that that you know takes place starts with the leader, but you have to check yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had my biases and I had some preconceived notions that I didn't even know I had that, you know, surfaced later on. I'll give you an example. Um, majority of my building is low income, but even in my, when I was a teacher, a lot of my students were low income too. And I remember we'd have snack time and I would buy the snacks for my students, making the assumption that my parents couldn't afford to buy them snacks. Mm. Right. Cause I had heard a couple of kids that, oh, whatever, you know, my mom couldn't drive because we don't have a car. And so me feeling bad, like that poor baby thing, um, I was buying them all the snacks. And then I had a mom show up and she was like, you know, I will, I will help you, Mrs. Jacobson. And I look out the window when she left and she pulled off in a Mercedes. They had a car dealership. There was their own business. Um, So people, regardless of where you're at, there are good things happening. Mm. And so if you're in a leader in one of those places, start finding that, right? And start promoting those things. Um, you know, if, if you have staff that thinks that, you know, you're all your, your entire building is not able to afford a field trip. Cause I've heard that a lot too. Oh, we can't go here because our family, there are ways around mm-hmm. that. And so you just have to get creative. Um, but I think the biggest thing is check yourself cause you may be having some of those attitudes too. And not knowing. I, I really thought that you were going to, you know, switch up on us there and, you know, check yourself be- before <laughs> you wreck yourself. <laughs> Yes, I was like, yes, here it comes. Here. It's true. Oh, no, she didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I do. You know, I think that's 
that's key. And listen to your staff, I think, is the biggest one, too, is if you don't get that, man, it's tough. I, I wasn't always very good about that, and I can admit that now. And I took that negative experience. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a phrase I keep mentioning is August Wilson's uh, quote that, you know, you have to be right with yourself before you can be right with anyone else. And I think a lot of times we're misconstrued about what that means. Like we have to go do, we have to go do. And sometimes it doesn't mean doing, but instead sitting still and reflecting. And like you said earlier, acknowledging those bias that we carry because we all carry them as well as just listening. Like it, it, like you said, had you listened to the parents in your space or given them the opportunity, you know, so that way you could listen to them. It's like, oh, those preconceived notions maybe aren't exactly as accurate as I thought. And so how many mm-hmm. times do we build barriers or obstacles that are unnecessary and then we're tired and we're exhausted because we're we're overcoming things. And it's like that didn't even have to be there. Yeah. You know what else I have realized is that. Um, so we're a community school district. So that means we have like programs and supports from birth to, you know, three and then from preschool and on. So it's pretty much cradle to career. Um, and one of the things too is, this sounds kind of counterintuitive, but I didn't put a huge emphasis on SEL. Mm. I know that sounds crazy, but hear me out. <laughs> so I know there's people um, like don't don't tune out yet. Don't listen. Listen. Let's see what. Yeah. <laughs> so please hear me out. Hear me out because we know we know about the Maslow before Bloom, and to me it's Maslow and Bloom. I I like to make it an and. I think that if you focus on the academics, a lot of that will catch some of the SEL. For example, when I came in, there were students at fifth grade who were reading at first grade mm-hmm. level, right? And that's more damaging to that child's self esteem and self-identity than maybe even what's going on at home. Just speaking from a person who grew up, you know, in poverty, um, I really didn't know I was poor until I got to college. And so I wasn't really navigating school as a low-income child. I didn't even know that was like a label, right? And so, um, but what helped me, right, are these champions that I spoke about, is that they, you know, helped me learn how to read, they, I just loved school. And I know that's not the experience for everyone, but taking it back to academics, making sure that our lessons are engaging, making sure that we're scaffolding so that it is comprehensible for students. That is where I have seen the biggest bang for my buck. And so I know that not every district is a community school, has a community school model, but really taking it back to the basic reading and math has man, my, my, our data is incredible just in the growth that we have seen. Um, I'll give you an example, you know, and not trying to brag y'all, no, but okay. Go ahead. even Go our ahead. growth percentile for math, we were in math, we were in the 99th percentile across the board, K5, right? So focusing on what do my teachers need to do their mm. job? Our teachers have become the catch-all for everything. And I have all these other staff that I'm like, you know what? A BS one or, or, you know, a special education teacher, I need you to do this. Um, social worker, I need you to do this. Instructional coaches, I, I really outlined what I wanted everyone to do so that the classroom teachers as much as possible could focus on nice. teaching. And the behavior is vastly different. I mean, it is a completely different vibe. And I really do attribute it to um, focusing on academics. And I also think that. Unfortunately, not all the time, 
But sometimes SEL does become an mm-hmm. excuse. I'll be honest, like, oh, these kids are going through this or they're going through that. Why are we pushing them? And it's like, hey, th- this is their normal, right? Like, th- we still have to teach them. It, it doesn't, to me, I don't like viewing SEL and academics as different or ex- mutually exclusive. You could do them together. So I, I'm glad you brought this up um, because there, there's something I've been wrestling with. And I know I, I've spoken to my co-host uh, from the other show, you know, Michael McWilliams. You know, I'm, I think about things maybe sometimes a little bit too much, but I, I know that there's conversations around that schools in some spaces, right? I think you, people like you and I are, we're, we're trying to break this, but oftentimes there's, they are tools used to perpetuate systems that are already in existence, right? So how many of these initiatives or programs that are pushed through are really redesigned, repackaged, you know, traditional concepts that we're eating up because we're like, no, this is the newest thing. It sounds great. But in reality, when we step back and we take a look at it, when all is said and done, because we've been in a system of reform for centuries and yet we're not making progress. So is it really reform or is it just that repackaging? And I've been hesitant with some of these things. And so I'm glad you're saying that because it's like, yeah, that's important. But the reality is, is it just a nice way of making excuses around why we can't provide our students with the things they need because of the spaces that they come from? Yes. <laughs> oh, listen, listen. I Yes, because hear, hear me out. Do you, So you talked about being on the West Side and you're like, yes, we're in the hood, but my hood, my school isn't hood. We are in DuPage County. We kind of have the similar thing where it's like, oh, you're West Chicago because we're surrounded by Naperville, uh, St. Charles, Geneva, all these really affluent communities. And then there's West Chicago, right? I I just want to say really quick, listeners, like after the show is over, like do me a favor and just like Google those really quick and look at the demographics. Like you're like those of you in the area, you're like, oh, yeah. (laughs) Those of you who don't like you'll see what we're talking about. Sorry, Lisa. Go Mm -hmm. ahead. No, that's okay. Definitely check out the demographics and you'll see what I mean. Um, so, um, goodness, I lost my train of thought. What was I talking about? Look at me. Oh, yes, SEL. Yes. So do you, and I, I said this to my staff recently because they were saying, well, SEL, SEL, SEL. And I said, you know what? Do you think there are kids in Naperville right now who are only hearing SEL? I'm sure they are. But they're also picking up that pencil and getting mm-hmm. to work. Why are we even perpetuating this gap? I mean, I also have problems with the notion of the achievement gap, but for the sake of this conversation, why why are we doing that when we already know our kids have so much more catching mm-hmm. up to do? And these these communities are not pausing. They're not putting a hold on learning. And we're only digging ourselves deeper into this hole by taking that attitude. And that's why um, one of the people that I want to give a shout out, Zarita mm-hmm. Hammond, with culturally responsive teaching in the brain, that concept of a warm demander, mm-hmm. you know, the most loving thing I can do to you is say, oh, you're hungry, baby. Here's a granola bar and here's yeah. your pencil. Eat the granola bar and let's do some math or eat this granola bar and let's do some writing. Right. I'm, I'm still going to address your needs, but because I love you and I care about you, I want to make sure that you get a high quality mm-hmm. education. And so I agree. I think it's it's a dangerous it's a dangerous hill to die on <laughs> with SEL, right? Because man, I think 
we are going to cre- create a bigger problem. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it's interesting. This is my first year. When I first came to my school, I've been there six years now. They used to go big for certain things. Like kindergarten graduation was a huge thing. And I was like, what are we doing? And so it, it has taken me six years to break kindergarten graduation down to we'll have a continuation ceremony to say, great job. You passed the first step. Now let's keep it moving. Like I said, why do we like I don't believe in like celebrating mediocrity. Like we we don't have to do every little thing because when it becomes an expectation, when it becomes part of the norm, it becomes part of who we are. It's just what we do. Like you said, like my daughters, I moved to a whole nother district, vastly different from where I grew up, vastly different from where I'm currently teaching. So that way I could give my daughter something else. And that was the expectation. Like, oh, you passed sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Good. Keep it moving. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's what we do. Right. Like we'll celebrate you when you graduate high school, because we know that you're still moving on to whatever is afterwards, but it's, it's an expectation. And I know that that is what I was brought up with when I brought home A's. I wasn't getting like $5 an A. It was like, well, yeah, that's what we expect. Like exactly. there, there was no reward systems, none of those things. It was just, this is what we do. And that is one of the things that I've mm-hmm. tried to build into our schools. But you're right, because there's oftentimes that narrative around it. Well, we have to coddle. We have to save. Or mm-hmm. We have to save. We have to do all these other things. And when we look upwards, like, why, why aren't we making the gains that we hope to make? Well, because you're playing in all these other areas. Mm-hmm. And I have, I actually have a principal ambassador group. I just started it this year. And you know what? It has definitely affirmed some of the things that we are doing because some of them have said, it's embarrassing to sit in a book when you're looking at your classmate, or I'm sorry, sitting in a book, when you're reading a book in class and you see your classmate um, reading chapter books and you, the teacher, because you know, we do leveled right. readers. Which is, um, <laughs> that's another topic, another conversation. <laughs> that's another one too. Um, it's embarrassing to be sitting there with these baby books, right? With these like low, obviously lower level books. And it's like, we do this to kids all the time. And that's what I keep telling teachers. It's like, it's more detrimental for that child's emotional well-being to not be on grade level than if we actually just make them do the work that they're supposed to be doing in the right. first place, regardless of where they come from, regardless of socioeconomic status. Now, it doesn't mean that we're cold and it's like, oh, I'm going to nag you because you didn't do your homework. Like, that's different. Or I'm going to nag you for, you know, you lost a book at home. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying, you know, when they're in school, the focus should be on learning. I will love you, but you're mm-hmm. going to learn. Yeah, it's that warm demander, like you said. I'm going to set those high expectations. We yes. talk about high expectations all the time, but are they really that high? Mm-hmm. And are we really holding students to make sure that they're getting to those spots? And most of the data we see, there's a reason why there's a reason why it is the way it is. Yes. And that, that low expectations is yeah. one of them. You know, you can get into race, ethnicity, and all of that stuff. Like, yeah, it's it's pervasive. It's pervasive and it's kind of frustrating, but that's why I do the things that I do, right? So I'm still in it because I believe in Absolutely. education. I really do at the end of the day believe in it. Well, Lisa, I know, um, you know, it, I, I'm glad that we stumbled upon that. And I, I think that there's a whole nother conversation there. And, and I can talk mm. for days. Be careful, Carl. <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, no, no, no. This, this, See, it's interesting, right? We, we start like down the like traditional pathway of the podcast and then like you're getting comfortable and then that, that, that harsh yes. truth starts coming out. But it's okay. Like I tell people all the time, like, if you don't want to have mm-hmm. those difficult conversations or listening to these things that may challenge where your position, like this isn't the show for you. Like 
This is why we are in these spaces. We, we need to have these honest conversations. Um, and, and I love the fact that we started off talking about like, yeah, there's hood schools, but what does that really mean? Right. And let's look at that, the, the capital that's in there. And like you said earlier, that deficit mindset drives, I think, a lot of these programs that we're running within our buildings to try to, I don't know, to compensate for them. You know, but at the end, like if my eighth grader can't read, but they feel really good. Yeah. And, and think of the impact too, right? Like if I'm a teacher and I'm struggling already to map out high quality curriculum and lessons and all of that, why would I add something else on your plate? Now you have to do this SEL program. Now you have to do this whole, whatever it is, right? Because it's repackaged, it's rebranded. We came and it was like, no, I really was intentional about getting back to basics with my teachers and getting teachers back to teaching. No. So I'm going to say this just before I'm called out, because I'm sure there's somebody like sitting listening. Now, I oftentimes, you know, we, we've talked about, you know, my school when I first came in was slated to shut down and we did all these things. And I credited SEL in many ways for our saving grace. Um, and so, you know, for my teachers who are like, wait a minute, Mr. Williams, like we do, like we have the whole period des- dedicated SEL. Like, yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. But I, I think, again, it's combined with what we talked about. And just the other day, one of my podcast friends said, why are we in education so polar? It's this or this, this or this. But like you said earlier, it's Maslow and Bloom. Like it's not SEL or academics. It's how do I be a warm demander? How do I support you while pushing you towards that goal and saying these two things need to be in tandem? So I, before somebody out there is like, well, you talk about SEL all the time, Mr. Williams. Like, yeah, yeah, I do. But it's in conjunction with these things because we have to, we can't lose sight of that goal. Like then you're doing a disservice to your students. Right. And, you know, again, we have a whole like our kids, just like they go to music, PE, art, they are they also have an SEL class. So it's part of their schedule. Right. So they get it. So we do also talk about SEL, but you're absolutely right that it's in conjunction and really getting the teachers to take on more of the academics, because at the end of the day, they're they're the teaching and learning Mm -hmm. experts. Right. So, no, it's definitely both. I also don't, any listeners out there don't think I'm neglecting (laughs) SEL. If anything, you use the information of like your students' backgrounds to then make content relevant, right? So that's when you use it. Like you can use that information. You do take into account that maybe they're low income or whatever. Um, But besides that, I mean, yeah, no, integrate it. Both. (laughs) Yes, both, both. Not either or, either or, Both. both, right? Um, so Lisa, I know mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're getting close to wrapping up here. This is one of the frustrating parts is that this time flies so quickly. Um, yeah, I am looking at the time like, dang, that was fast. <laughs> so be- before we close out, you know, I am sure, I know we talked a little bit about them earlier, but I'm sure the listeners are like, man, this, this woman's phenomenal, right? She's doing some great things and I want to learn more. I want to be able to connect with her, maybe have her come out to our school and do some PD with her, with her co-host. So can you tell us a little bit about where we can find you? How can listeners connect with you? So you can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. There's blackbrownandbilingua.com. I mean, I'm probably going to go too rapidly. I don't know if you can. Oh yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll add these in the show notes and we're also, you can, my personal Twitter is principal LJ10. Um, and then there's also leadinglatina.com and all of those Twitter um, handles and Instagram accounts. I'm very bad at keeping up to date on all of those. I promise. Like in terms of knowing the exact name on the handle, full disclosure. <laughs> well, you, <laughs> I have somebody else I was going to say that. you have help, right? 
Yeah, I do. I do have help. And there's no way I can do this alone. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea. I try. So those of you who like contact mm-hmm. me and then you're like, I haven't heard from that's why. Because I, I don't have that yeah. help. You I need do. some help. Can, will your husband help me too? No, I'm joking. Yes. Tom, <laughs> look, for a low rate of, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, well, Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being in this space. I, I really appreciate it. Um, and like I know I said at the beginning, but thank you to just for doing a phenomenal job. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for do- everything that you're doing. I know that you're having an impact. Uh, whether or not, I know as leaders, sometimes it doesn't feel like it, but I know you are. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. And listen, I love the title of your oh, podcast. Well, thank you so much. The counter narrative. You know, that's one of the major tenets for like equity and education. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is so, you know, that's all I, well, not all, but that is one of my big focuses is on equitable education in, in a variety of arenas. Cause you know, it's interesting, mm-hmm. which I know people are like, wait, I thought the show was over. Like it's the bonus piece. Don't worry. Stick around. Sorry y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Have you, if, if you've ever been to like, a household right for like black or brown houses it's like goodbye but you say it like 20 times and then you then you leave <laughs> yes. so you know it's i do a lot of this equity work but my big one of my big things is to say you know it, it's about those mindsets and those mindsets like you know beliefs trigger you know attitudes attitudes trigger you know behaviors and so the only way that we're going to start changing uh, in cps we call it liberatory thinking the only way that you're going to start doing that is by countering the narrative and saying, hey, you know what? No, there are some amazing stories out here. There are other things happening. And once we start having those conversations, everything starts to shift. I was so upset. And I, and I, I, I please excuse me if I've said this before, but I was so upset. My, my young girls, um, I had a group of young ladies who won a rocket building competition. So a STEM competition, they were in fifth grade and they beat out over a hundred different schools from across the city. What? And I pushed that out to the local newspapers. Nobody picked it up. Nobody, nobody at all. But for example, when we win a basketball championship, right, it's front page news. And it's like, we, no. we have to tell both stories. Yes, we were great on the court, but we were also great off the court. But if that's all we talk about, then what we view young black men are like, oh, they're good athletes. But mm-hmm. but we were also scholars. And so we we have to continue challenging that. And that's one of the things I tell people is that you can't rely on everybody else to tell your story because, you know, they're going to paint that picture. So if you want that story to change, you have to get out there. You have to start doing it. And that launched the show. I want people to get out and to share those stories so that way we start thinking about each other in different ways. Hey, yes. No, I was I was super impressed when I found out the name and I know that I had been reading a lot about how, you know, counter narratives are emerging a lot in educational research. And I mean, I we don't have time. I'm looking at keep going. Um it's also kind of grounded in critical race theory, which I also think is something that is going to be coming up in the educational world, or is already here, let's be honest, where more and more parents want to be involved in what actually is being mm-hmm. taught in schools. And so good for you. This is the kind of stuff we need to be doing, those counter narratives, because people just don't get Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Well, I think just based on our conversations that there's a part two somewhere in here. So we'll yeah. definitely get you back on the going, show. So. I was definitely the kid that had talks too much on the report card. <laughs> yeah, I put it to well, I was going to say, in this case, in this case, it works out. So we appreciate it. So uh, I appreciate again, thank you, you for too. being on the show. I hope that you have a wonderful night and uh, I look forward to our future connections.
No problem. Bye-bye. I want to thank you for listening to the Counter Narrative Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please be sure to like, subscribe, and of course, share it with friends and family. I'd also love to hear your thoughts about the show, so please leave a comment or two as well. Now, I'm not sure what platform you're using, but the show can be found on Anchor, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, and plenty of other platforms. If the show isn't on your preferred site, let me know, and I'll be sure to get it up and running. This podcast is also featured on schoolrubric.com, where you can find educational articles, videos, and interviews with educators from around the globe. Be sure to connect with me and other listeners by following the show on Twitter at The CN Podcast and joining the show's Facebook group. Take care.